0: Because and now wicked. coming to you live from the Gresham Room, high above the Coot Street Motel Six, it's Jonathan Stround and Gary K. Wolf continuing their peripatetic journey through two thousand nineteen in the Gucci Podcast. Two thousand
1: nineteen is is galloping along because we're getting uh in in a month from now, albeit ICFA, we have the Nebula Awards nominations are out. I think the um, Stoker the Stokers, Awards nominations are out.
0: Stokers, the Aurealises. All kinds of things.
1: Aurealis. Congratulations Thank on two. That's nice, two Orealis. Yeah. Does that yes. mean, does that, do you have a feeling you're going to split your own vote? No. Okay, this is what they
0: always talk well, about with the Oscars. Well, okay, remember that it's a juried vote. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, this sounds one of those right. kind of really sort of things you say, but I have been very fortunate with the Aurealis Awards over time. They've been very kind to me. I've won them a number of times, or at least my books have, have, have been awarded them. So I'm really at peace with whatever happens with those. Um, yeah, so we shall see what happens, but I'm not terribly concerned. And, you know, I'm, yeah, it would be nice to see, see the year's best get recognized since it's it's come to an end. Though, though it's not the last book that's nominated, the last book doesn't come out for another month or two.
1: Oh, the, really? Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: That was out in April, the final year's best in the Best Science Fiction and F- Fantasy of the Year series. Which has been going like forever. Is, I mean, like, it was 2007 uh, or something. Well, and before that, you were doing the series with Karen Haber. Yeah, yeah. I've been doing Year's Best sit- so, month, since,
1: since I started, just about. I went back and looked. I went back and looked. Every once in a while, I go back and look at this long list of reviews I've written for Locus. And I think the first thing of yours I saw, the first thing that Charles told me to review was The Year's Best Australian Science Fiction. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, maybe Might, 20 years ago? Yeah, 1996, 1997. Mm-hmm. So, yes, we, 2006, 2016. Yeah, about 22, 23 years, yeah. So, so that's, that's how long the, I've been doing it. You're a senior
1: anthologist now in the field. You're, 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 you're an old master. You're somebody who is... In the words of anybody 10 years younger than you, already superannuated. Yes, I was going to say, pre-retirement is, 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 the, is the, the phrase you're looking for. Well, I'm not looking for that because I'm post-retirement, which is actually better.
0: <laughs>
1: I, just, yes. I just don't want to be uh, – j- just, just be glad that neither of us can ever get an Editor Emeritus Award from anybody. <sighs> Worst idea of an award anybody ever came up with. Oh, look, uh, it's well-intentioned. Except, no, there was an award called the Richard Evans Award. Do you remember mm-hmm. this? I was looking this up because uh, there were only three of them given out. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one was to M. John Harrison. One was to um, Gwyneth Jones. And it was a, an award for worthy but under-recognized writers. And I was thinking, okay, first of all, every writer in the world thinks they are that. And secondly, sure. if you actually got an award saying you haven't been recognized how does that make you feel? Like, <laughs> gee, I thought, I thought people were reading me. Maybe not. I thought I was doing fine, but no. Yeah. I'm, I'm not dead yet. I'm <laughs> getting better.
0: And I should probably say, not that I think that it's directly germane to the activities of the Cood Street cohort, but next week, I think, the 1st of March, is the closing day for entrance applications to Clarion West which will be held in Seattle in July across a six-week, well, I guess July, August, because it's a six-week period. Uh, if you want to be a science fiction writer, if you want to learn more about science fiction writing, well, speculative fiction writing, then come see um, six talented, gifted, skilled instructors and one Gumby do their best to tell you all about stuff. Well, now you have to list all of your fellow instructors. But I don't have that list hand, Gary. List. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I mean like I know like See I miss one it's like when I go Elizabeth Hand, Amal El-Motar um, Stephen Graham Jones Jack Dan um, Anne Leckie And there's one other name that escapes me now Which makes me the bad guy thanks Okay well maybe you just forgot your own name No no I did not Basically I'll tell oh, you okay. how good I am Gary You know when you go on a plane They let you take a companion animal along You know for comfort mm. I'm allowed to take a companion editor. Oh, Jack Dad's my companion editor.
1: Oh, you, call, you? I thought that you and Jack were in different weeks, or no? Oh, you were doing it together. You're doing yeah. it together. Yeah, they have ever, to do it. Hmm? have you ever taught
0: a workshop for, for uh, I never Buddy? Writer? a workshop. <laughs> I mean, that's the whole thing. They asked me if I would do it, which was lovely and kind and flattering. And I sat and I hummed and I hard and I thought, I can't do this. I've never done this. I don't know anything. And then I thought, well, you know, if I actually go out and tell people just how little I know, that's not going to work. And it certainly won't be value for money for these poor people who are going to come along hoping to learn something more than he's an idiot. And so I said, well, you know, can I phone a friend? Uh-huh. And they're well. What do you mean? I said, well, can I bring my friend Jack along? He's a workshop veteran. He knows what he's doing. He's oh, a yeah. Nebula Award-winning writer. He's you know a world. Fantasy he has a doctorate.
1: He has a PhD.
0: He's, yeah, yeah, everybody he's, has those, dude. You can just get them out of a box now. But
1: maybe in Australia.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but he also, I mean, heck, he's edited like a million, billion anthologies of his own and with Gardner does and done all kinds of great things. So he's really, really good. So He's going to be awesome. And I am there kind of just to sort of be there.
1: You're the one that people would be paying attention to. I don't know. I think Alan Datlow has done these things before. I don't know oh. if Sheila
0: Williams has done them or if Gardner I know has done these things. Well, everybody's and- done them, I think. I mean, Datlow's done them. Uh, Win- uh, Gardner's done them. and Neil Clark's done them. Uh, Anne and Jeff Vandermeer are famous for being really great at this at uh, mm-hmm. w- writers' workshops and stuff. So yeah, there's been a whole bunch. Yeah,
1: I always wondered if I, I've never been to a writer's workshop either, and uh, I've sat in on one or two, I guess. Uh, but I always thought that if I were an aspiring writer, the person I would want to really hear from more than a fellow writer is an editor, somebody with the power to actually give me money for my story. Those are the people that finally you are first readers have to be I, I Not guess first so readers.
0: I mean I, I never wanted to be a writer so it's hard for me well I'm just speculating on what writers might want to know I can understand that you'd want some experience from, uh, or some kind of I- interaction with somebody who's actually bought stories and has some idea to it that's that's where obviously the Desoir, the Sheila Williams or the Neil Clarks come in very handy mm. uh, and give you some feedback But and, and also I guess some interaction with how they might approach editing your work and the kind of thing, experiences you might have so that kind of thing, sure. Not that anybody agrees on those things, but still. No. Yeah.
1: And but still also, people want to know how to, how to get out of the slush pile. That seems to me to be the thing yeah. that young yeah. writers talk about. And all the established writers that we know, you and I know, that have these stories of having submitted for years before getting even an encouraging personal note back um, should be either something that completely demonizes your profession or makes you look like a hero, because every once in a while you discover somebody.
0: I, I guess, I mean, I kind of think like it's an e- both an easier and a harder environment to have success as a writer than it used to be. I think it's easier to have some success, particularly that first level of success, success hmm. you're alluding to, because there are so many markets, so many different editors to appeal to, and so many different ways you can find your way into print. Mm -hmm. or into publication would be the way
1: into publication which may or may not be
0: print which kind of
1: takes us back to what we were talking about with neil clark is that there are so many ways of getting in now compared to what there used to be does that mean the standards are diluted or does that simply mean that there are more sensitive readers looking for more diverse kinds of stories
0: that's a very good question i think that there are more diverse readers, or at least there is a somewhat broader pool of re- readers, maybe than there used to be, though it is also, net, you know, collapsing into discrete groups as well. In other words, mm. It's groups which, rather than having one large group of short fiction readers, you have small groups of short fiction readers of this thing and that thing and that thing. So there's that. Mm. Um, I don't know whether the overall global number of short fiction readers in the, in, in the genre has increased very much that's not my impression it's more that the number of publications out there has increased and i am guessing but i suspect that more solid work gets into print i don't think there's much more great work at all Uh i think more more solid work you know it's like if you're talking about seven out of ten stories more seven out of Mm ten stories professional well done you know because for all that Asimov's is publishing, you know the same word count of fiction that it ever did, and Analog yeah. and FNSF and Interzone, and now Clark's World and Lightspeed and whatever else. There are also a whole bunch of other online and offline ma- uh, magazines publishing, as well as whatever other kind of venues. And it means that there's you know a greater opportunity. I mean, of course, there's also a broader a broader range of writers being pulled in now. I mean, you, you've, you've just handed in mm. a column for Locusts that will appear in the, I guess, the March issue. Um That's the March. April issue. April issue. April issue, which is basically all, well, mostly work in translation, isn't
1: it? It's uh, mostly work in translation. I had um, a, a, a Chinese collection, Ken Liu's new collection, Broken Stars, a Korean collection called Ready-Made Bodhisattva, uh, which is the first collection of Korean language science fiction, all translated. Uh, mostly i think for the first time in the collection and um on the um new ken lu translated novel of um, waste tide by Westland, uh, yes waste waste by chen i, 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 I w- the guy writes apparently apparently writes in english under the name stanley chan but it's i don't have it's, the book in front of us
0: it is chen quifan thank you West which which by the which, which looks it yeah, looks great and which everybody has been applauding, but I only have in PDF and I just don't want to read PDFs, Gary.
1: Well, I had to read all these things either on PDF or in one case on a Kindle, uh, which I find more annoying than PDFs. In fact, not a Kindle. Why do you find Kindles uh, annoying? I like Kindles. Well, for one, for one thing, Kindle, I, 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 I am extremely annoyed by this business. Not all Kindles give you page counts. So you're reading and you realize after an hour and a half, you're 4% of the way through the book. Good for you. I feel like I'm in the first grade. I've made it to page three. Thank you so much, teacher. Why don't you tell me where the, where the am I am, where I am in the book?
0: You do realize that, you know, not to be kind of silly about this, Gary, and sound like the guy from tech support, but there are settings on your Kindle that change that for you
1: maybe maybe you're right I don't know. <laughs> it's not diff- it's it's more difficult to, for me to make notes in a kindle i can bookmark things but making marginal notes is difficult to do um, which is fairly easy to do on a pdf mm-hmm. uh, and what i tend to do when i'm reviewing is i don't i don't write comments in the margin but i mark things that i want to come back and look at when i'm going to write to review and just being able to circle a phrase is very important um, so that, uh, that, 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 that's a minor annoyance, but it's an annoyance. So PDFs are not bad. I do have a program called PDF Editor, which allows you to do some of that um, more easily than you can on raw PDFs, but it's not the best program at all in, in the world. But generally, I've, I've decided that uh, after having uh, read uh, 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 written a column in which three of the four books had to be read
0: on screens, I really do prefer paper. Yeah, I I, I, I vacillate. I like it both, but, I mean, there are times when I really want paper.
1: I I generally want paper. I mean, and partly it's because even if you have a sense of where you are, even if you get the page count, having a physical sense of picking up a book, the latest thing I have to review, and I'm not going to get to it for a month or two now, is the latest Neal Stephenson novel. And one of the things about Neal Stephenson novels, first of all, okay, the problem with reading Neal Stephenson in paper is that you have to lift it. <laughs> but once you've started it, you have a bookmark in it, and you can pick it up, and you realize I'm actually a, an eighth of the way through it. I'm actually halfway through it. I can I can see how much more there is, and it gives me a, a, a sense of place. That it, because it's a good example with a kind of Kindle you, you you could be reading a Neal Stephenson novel for three weeks and get the your four percent done message. <laughs> <laughs> which is, which is really distressing. Yes, it is. Listen
0: the one to thing us. I will say,
1: I yeah. know well, well, we're sounding cranky. The one thing I will say, though, is that the people who write long novels, Stevenson as is, is as readable as anybody. Yeah, um, I, I've I've read, I think, all of his novels, uh, including the ones he wrote with his uncle way back when, uh, and including the Big U, the the University novel, of the World before, yeah. before, the, but even the. Uh, The Baroque Trilogy, which I found my way through, finally by convincing myself, okay, it's not three immense volumes, it's really seven shorter novels sort of blended together, which it really is. But it was still, page by page, delightful to read. Which is really the thing that counts. He's a very entertaining writer. Um, I think he's entertaining even when he's not as successful as, uh, as he could be.
0: Well, whilst I r- both read and publish print and digital, uh, the thing w- that I value most about print is it does not contain within it the technology to be distracted by anything else. Hmm. And I find that when I'm reading on devices, I mean Kindles are okay for this because you can't do anything else on a Kindle either. Mm. But like the reason I don't like reading PDFs because I read them on my laptop is I can be distracted by email and notifications and Facebook and any old thing. And I find that I am happy to be distracted all the time. And then my attention span just goes, you know, collapses down to nothing. And I'm not reading, which is not, you know, not my intention.
1: This this happens to me. I, I agree completely. And then just one final note on this sort of thing, because I know there are settings on my iPad that can stop this. Uh, and I probably need to do it, but I'm halfway through a very suspenseful novel, and suddenly a pop-up screen tells me that Paul Manafort has been indicted for something else, <laughs> and my concentration is sort of bifurcated at that point,
0: which exactly. I don't like. Yes. Or you know, my you know, see, I can be sitting there reading. I'll be reading a story submission or something on my laptop, and up will pop a notification from my daughter asking if we can put the cat away, or my wife asking me if I've picked up eggs at the shops or whatever else it might be, and that just doesn't help. Just so no one misunderstands,
1: putting the cat away, I assume, means putting the cat to bed, not killing it?
0: That's correct. Thank you. We 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 have a cat that's about a year and a half old, a daughter who's phobic about cats, who's about 19 years old, and they don't like to be in the same place. Ah. Yes. So anyway, you touched on... One of the mm. big things of the, the moment, which is the announcement of the 2018 Nebula Awards by the science fiction, mm. fantasy, something, something, writers of America, something, something. And, you know, like it's and a pretty what, interesting list, I think.
1: It's an interesting list. And I was I was thinking about the Nebula Award lists compared to, for example, the Hugo Award list, which we'll see later this year. Uh, one of the things which is newsworthy this year, even though I know nothing about it all at all, is the first nebula category for game writing. Oh, yeah. And which, which actually lists writers, actually one of the games they've nominated strikes me as being problematical because it's an episode of Black Mirror in which there is a video game called
0: Bandersnatch. Don't use the word um, problematical, Gary. That's terrible. Um, okay. Con- pu- befuddling? <laughs> befuddling, yes. Confusing. Befuddling.
1: Unclear. Confused. Leaves me perplexed. Well, I, my question, my question is, is this an award for a TV screenplay, which it's not. It's not nominated as, as a media thing. It's nominated as a game. So I, I, I simply don't understand. I gather there is a game called Bandersnatch.
0: I think Black Mirror Bandersnatch, which is a TV show, is also a choose-your-own-ending thing. Somehow you choose your own ending in the TV show.
1: Ah. Uh. It is. I've watched it. I've gone through it. I've not gone through it the 44 times that you're supposed to before you finally avoid your person being killed. It's very ingenious, but it is a video choose-your-own-adventure. You're right. The episode itself is a game. There you go. So I stand corrected. So
0: anyway.
1: My point point was, which I like about the awards and which I like about their media awards, the Ray Bradbury Award for Dramatic Presentation, is that these are all awards for writers. Mm Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I've always – because some friends of mine and some friends of yours have written for video games, um, a lot of them under, uh, under the shadow of anonymity of contractual obligations and that sort of thing. So I like the idea of the writers of games being recognized even though I don't know the games. And I've always liked the idea that the Ray Bradbury Award is for screenwriting. It's for it's, – it, the Nebula Awards are writing awards. yes. Whereas, for example, the Hugo Awards just give awards to movies and TV shows without specifically recognizing who wrote them. And if if you're a writer's award.
0: The Hugos for My Money are always best described by Kevin Stanley. And his description of the Hugos as a community picking the best pumpkin pie at their local picnic is about right. Yeah, it, that sounds about everyone right. Everyone brought, brought, brought along a pie, and we all had a vote, and that was our favorite pie of the day. That's the mm-hmm. Hugos. Now, this year, six novels make the final <laughs> ballot, three yep. debuts, which is interesting uh, and uh, exciting. My favorite novel of the year, and now I'm not a big novel uh, reader because of all oh, my other reading, but Blackfish City by Sam Miller, which I think is a spectacular book. Uh, is on the ballot, as is Naomi Novik's Spinning Silver, which I also loved and adored, and mm-hmm. C.L. Polk's Witchmark, which I read at the recommendation of our mutual friend Ellen Clagis, and which is a mm-hmm. marvellous, wonderful, entertaining book. And I've heard wonderful things about all of the others, Gary.
1: Well, uh, and uh, two of them, uh, The Poppy War, which actually won the Crawford Award already and *Trail* by by uh, R.F. Quang, and Trail of Lightning by Rebecca Roenhorst, which was a finalist uh, uh, for the ICFOR award. I, the, both of those were very highly recommended by the voters for that award. I've not read Mary Robinette, Robinette Call's The Calculating Stars, but again, the people who love it really seem to adore it.
0: Yeah, It and its companion volume have been really well received. So these, I mean, whilst you can always say that there is something else that could be nominated, these six books all seem strong they all seem well-regarded during the year. It's always encouraging to see debut novels showing up in, in this category. It's great to see some established people. It's great to see, uh, frankly, the diversity of, of the category. You know, we've got six, uh, six nominees, five women, one man. We've got people of color. We've got LGBTQ mm-hmm. people. It, it's great. Nathan. Oh, one of the questions,
1: has the Nebula Awards always included fantasy?
0: I don't know. I think I so. don't
1: think it's. I I don't know. The Science Fiction Writers of America at some point changed its name to
0: the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America. See, if you do, you see, when you bring this up, then we get told off by people in comments, Gary.
1: Well, that's what we're we're asking. Our, we're, this is particip- This is a choose your own ending podcast. Uh, you, you you tell us what, what happened. My my question is, if Nebula Awards were strictly science fiction awards, uh, probably only a couple of these things would be on the ballot. Yeah, possibly. It's a valid, valid which tends toward fantasy.
0: Well, yes, it, it certainly strongly... In fact, I think there's only really... Well, there's two science fiction novels there. I think exactly. if it was the best science fiction novel of the year, then other works would come into play. But, you know, these are the worthy nominees. I have, uh, you know, a, frankly, a winner I'd prefer to see, but I, I'll be honest, I would be happy... I, I think any one of those nominees would be a very worthy winner. I now, agree. For Novella Now I'm going to mm-hmm. run through the nominees quickly And they are okay, Jonathan Brazi for Fire End, P. Jelly I'm, I'm going to mispronounce Jelly Because there's an accent in there So P. Jelly Clark for The Black God's Drums Elliot de Bedard for The Tea Master and The Detective Kate Hartfield for Alice Payne Arrives Kelly Robson for God, God's Monsters and the Lucky Peach And Martha Wells for Artificial Condition Which sees Tor.com put like four, four books on that list I confess yeah. I didn't, haven't seen the Jonathan Brazzi story from Semper Fi, uh, Fire Ant. Uh, but P. Clark is fabulous. Love the Black God's drums. I'm just reading The Haunting of Tramcar 15, which is their new novella. And mm-hmm. they have a story in the short story category, which honestly is marvelous, so. And of these, I mean, I adored uh, Aliette's book, and Kelly Robson's is just one of my favorites. And I need to read more of the Murderbot stories because everybody loves the Murderbot stories, and I've only read the first one.
1: Well, I think what's interesting
0: is that you do have, with
1: Martha Wells, a very popular series. With Kelly Robson, you have a completely unique kind of standalone thing, although she certainly has a universe there that she could do more with when she wants to. And she's writing a sequel. Aliette de Bodard is more or less one of her series, uh, far future series, uh, but it's also a, a Sherlock Holmes story. Yeah. So there, there's, a, there's a nice combination here, again, of new writers, of standalones, of uh, parts that are popular series. Uh, and, I uh, think five uh, of the six
0: are parts of series.
1: Okay. So. <laughs> but by series, we're not talking about serials. We should mention – Well, artificial universe.
0: conditioned – is, okay. looks like I think Car- Kate Hartfield's Alice Payne arrives, is Kelly Robson's God's Monster Lucky's Peach is getting a direct sequel, even though it's obviously, well no, it stands alone and you don't need a sequel yeah, to it. Yeah, it stands alone for this one. Um, uh, the team master of the detective is part of a universe. Um, so yep. yeah. Now, novelette, uh, I, I think this, is, this actually is a great category and has some great nominees in it. There's Brooke Bolander's brilliant the only harmless great thing which i love tina Connolly's mm-hmm. the last banquet of temporal confections andy duncan's an agent of utopia jose pablo iliarte's the substance of my lives the accident of our births which has a fabulous title lawrence m sean's the rule of three and yodhana jaya Virajatine and rr verdi's messenger and i have totally butchered that name and i should have practiced it so yeah
1: well, now we're in the territory where you've read a lot more than I have. I've read a couple of these. One is by a Dear friend, so I don't – so I'm not yeah. biased. Uh, but it, I, the, the ones I've heard about are certainly spectacular. And
0: Who, who would want the to talk about recovering Thomas More's severed head? It's – for one thing, okay, this
1: is one of the things I think is interesting. Now, Andy Duncan has at this point got enough of a following and enough of a reputation that a new story by him – it's not surprising to see it on about. What's surprising is that this is so different from any other Andy Duncan story. This is well, a story set in, 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 in you know, in, in, in basically in Elizabethan England. No,
0: not even Elizabethan England. And no, it, 15- it isn't set, it's it's set in the world of his own book, isn't it? Utopia. Uh, it, it's well, it's
1: it is and it isn't. It's a historical thing that's set. It's, the, the actual uh, outline of the story is that Thomas moore was beheaded and his daughter tried to save his head that that much is historically true but within the context of the story there is a visitor from the fictional utopia so i i don't think we can say that this is part of a series because thomas moore started it 400 years ago and andy's just now picking up on the first sequel to it but it's my point is it's not the uh, kind of down-home americana that we associate with andy duncan stories
0: no no and i mean it was a year where a- andy had four or five stories out several of which would have been worthy mm-hmm. nominees so you know it could easily you know, i'm very happy to see this one but i've been happy to see some of the others there were some other great novelettes during the year there were a lot of novelettes during the year mm-hmm. uh, and whilst this would not be necessarily my top six because there's one or two i've not actually read to be honest i'm not seen them mm-hmm. uh Nonetheless, I, judging by the quality of the ones I have read, that there's some great stuff here. So yeah, Then on to short story. Short story. Hang on. Whoa, they missed the best short story. Well, one of the best short stories of the year. I didn't even realize. It. But still, these are good. Oh. Okay. I know, that sounds like a lead. If you are going to nominate for the Hugos, please make a point of going to Clark's World or going to the January issue of Asimov's from last year and reading S.Q. Mother Tongue. You should read that story before you vote uh, or nominate. Um, That's all I'm saying. Okay, short stories. The nominees were, are, or finalists are, Rhett C. Bruno's Interview for the End of the World, P. Jelly Clark's The Secret Lives of the Nine Negro Teeth of George Washington, Richard Fox. Another great novel. And a great story. Uh, Richard Fox's Going Dark, A.T. Greenblatt's and Yet, Alex E. Harrow's A Witch's Guide to Escape, a practical compendium of, of portal fantasies, and Sarah Pinsker's The Court Magician. Now, first of all, P. Jelly Clark, or Fenderson Jelly Clark, as he's credited on the ballot for this story, mm-hmm. is having a fabulous year. Had, you know, has a story up in the nebula and in the, in the novella category for the Black God's Drums, had a story the year before in. Tor.com, which was great, has a new novella out which looks wonderful and then this story, which is actually pretty extraordinary and is literally what the title tells you it is. Oh, excellent. And is powerful and moving. Um, I've not read any work by Alex Harrow before. Uh, A Witch's Guide to Practical uh, Escape is charming and touching and moving and lovely and Alex has a debut novel coming out a little bit later in the year, which looks fantastic. I've not been sent a Galley yet, Gary. I, I mean, I'm not going to say that that's a terrible thing because then if I had it, I could read it. But you're still. Mm-hmm. Sarah Pinsker, who we hope will be joining us next week and who has a debut novel out coming out in September and a f- first collection just out last month and who had five mm-hmm. stories out, is on with a wonderful story, actually, The Court Magician, uh, which I, I really, really, really enjoyed during the year
1: excellent and that's uh, again an interesting mix of uh, of, of names and that, this is true of all the short fiction categories is that if you go back and look at nebula nominations from as recently i'm going to say as 15 years ago you would find fewer names that are new to you there, there are many names that are new to me on this list um and the the idea that the nebulas uh are going to the usual suspects um Probably it may be it may be distressing to some of the usual suspects, but I love seeing names of uh, of, of of people i haven't read before and I, I I've read maybe one of these stories I think in the short story category you've read a lot more because you read so much short fiction um and as I've said many times, I have to wait for your years best uh or, well. or, or, or can't can't wait for gardeners after
0: yours or or Neils or uh, or Rich's, yeah. Paul Riches, I mean, yeah. I can tell you that of these, the Brooke Bolander, The Only Harmless Great Thing, Andy Duncan's An Agent of Utopia, P. G. L. A. Clark's The Secret Lies of the Nine Negro, Negro Tooth of George Washington, and the Alex E. Harrow, which, which is Guide to Escape, are all in my year's best. Okay. That
1: tells me a lot.
0: So, and so I, I great ballot. I mean, I will say this because it, it honestly needs saying this is a great ballot, but it undervalues the quality of short fiction being published in print magazines during 2018. In what way? There in are none. Magazines? There are none. Oh. And there were stories well, right. that were right. highly worthy of inclusion. Uh, and I cannot recommend the story I mentioned to you earlier, S.Q. Lou's Mother Tongues from the January Asimovs, highly enough. But there were strong stories in, uh, in Asimovs, in FNSF. uh, In Interzone and in Analog, which were were well deserving of consideration. And the fact that none of them made the ballot is something to consider.
1: Is this something, uh, it is something to consider because again, we can both remember more than a decade ago, but less than two decades ago, where there was some discussion about online publications uh, showing up on ballots in the first place. Uh, there was a a distinct sense among people who had published online that there was a bias toward the print magazines. I don't know if we could check this out, but you probably could. Uh, And do you think that bias has shifted away from the print magazines?
0: Bias is not the right word. I think demographic issues have impacted, or whatever you want to Mm -hmm. put it. I think the fact that online fiction is available for free, and, eat, and readily makes a colossal difference.
1: And also, to, also
0: to be honest, I have this impression that readers under the age of 40 are perhaps disinclined to read the print magazines anyway on principle because they're old.
1: Well that's that's a bias. That's a bias. I will go back to my word bias then.
0: Yeah. And so, I mean, that's my impression. And I think it's unfortunate because there is more interesting work in those magazines than they're given credit for. And I'm not saying that this ballot should be wholesale different. I'm not even going to name a single work that I don't think should be there because I'm not saying that that any one of them should not be there. What I'm saying is the fact that and not for the first year, right? This is not the first year this has happened. Over the last mm-hmm. five years, five years, this has been increasing a trend. Those magazines are, or those venues are not really appearing at all. And when you read them hands on, it really looks like it's because they're not being considered, not because they don't have worthy work. And I hope that readers, that, uh, readers who nominate for the Nebulas, that readers who nominate for the Hugos, the World Fantasy Awards, will take the time to go and seek out those venues because they do have worthwhile work.
1: I think that's a very good point. I think that it's something that I certainly w- w- will keep in mind because it's. Well, it, it, it just seems to me that um, the print magazines, they, they may be a kind of by now uh, kind of almost archival, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, an earlier generation's kind of Uh, publication but it's it doesn't require any effort at all to seek out these online as a matter of fact I'm looking at the list right now and um, uh, four of five four of the short stories listed here are directly linked to the story in other words it becomes much easier and I think you're right I think I'm repeating your point about demographics it simply is so much easier to find something online than to try to track down a magazine that, it, uh, that people don't aren't putting in that much effort. And I think that's true for any award which is voted on by a large number of people, whether it be the Nebulas, which is still a large number of people, even if it's only SFWA, the Hugos, and for that matter, the Locus Awards, which are still voted on
0: by lots and lots of people. Game writing, you've mentioned it. There's two things I would mention that leap out to me as being mm-hmm. interesting because I know nothing about the subject. Mm-hmm. And so... What I would point out is that the author of Alice Payne arrives, Nebula nominee for Best Novella, and who has a new book in that series coming up from Tor shortly, is nominated for The Road to Canterbury as the writer of that game, mm. and that Natalia Theodoradou, who won the World Fantasy Award last year for short fiction, is the writer for Rentevice. So there's a, it, there appears to be a strong crossover between the community of game writers and the community of science fiction and fantasy writers.
1: Well, I agree, and, and this is the point I was making earlier, that writers uh, devote their time to writing games. And uh, like I say, I've, I've known a number of people who have done this who are very good writers. And I had a conversation with one who I whose name I won't mention, a young woman who's a brilliant brilliant short fiction writer uh, who, because she recently quit the gaming company that she was working for. And I remember having a conversation three or four years ago about, I would like to see more of your fiction fiction. Uh, but you're writing games. And her response was, I need to make a living,
0: uh, <laughs> which was an
1: entirely, res- an, an, an entirely reasonable response. My concern about games is like my concern about television. I believe that there's an enormous amount of creativity that goes into them. Everything we talk about in terms of, of uh, fiction, everything we talk about world building, we talk about character arcs, we talk about plots, we talk about subplots. Um, those things can go into a game. And I've, watched games i've seen i've I've tried to actually god of war i actually somebody invited me to do that for once my point is that the creativity that goes into games is not only probably more remunerative for many writers but it's a completely legitimate form of writing unfortunately unfortunately it's a corporate industry where by and large uh, and i've looked at games it's you have to really really dig through the credits of a game to find out who
0: actually wrote it yeah um See my main thing about it is I just don't play games, so I'm not really aware of it, but I completely see the the value of it completely you know.
1: yeah I mean it's, uh, it, it's it's if somebody were to somebody were to write uh, romance novels, for example, uh, along with their science fiction novels. I'm not thinking of anybody in particular now I'm not going to read the romance novels, but that doesn't mean I'm going to hold it against them that they're writing something that probably sells a lot more than science True. fiction does.
0: Yeah. Okay, the Ray Bradbury uh, Award for Outstanding Dramatic Presentation, which you mentioned. Megan Uh Amram is nominated for Jeremy Berrimi, an episode of The Good Place, which is a fabulous episode. Yeah, it's terrific. Ryan Coogler and Joe Robert Cole for Black Panther. John Krasinski and Brian Woods and Scott Beck for A Quiet Place. Phil Lord and Rodney uh, Rothman for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. I love that. Janelle Monet and Chuck Lightning for Dirty Computer, and Butch Riley for Sorry to Bother You. And I don't really have anything to say other than to say this, you know, like I, there's some stuff there I loved and some stuff there I've not experienced.
1: And again, the question is, what does recognizing a writer mean in a context like this? Because when you talk about a gigantic production like Black Panther, the, the script for it struck me as being very impressive. Um, the Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, which you loved, and I've heard nothing but good things about. The more I, th- the more I think about the, the kinds of writing that goes into media, I'll give you an example. Uh, yesterday, we went to see How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World, which is the conclusion to the trilogy. And it is a novelistic conclusion to a trilogy. It really feels like people – it doesn't feel like a corporation has figured out how can we kite this into six more movies. But they've completed the arc, which was begun in the first movie. The first movie in that series I still think is the best. But nevertheless, it has a feeling of having completed a good trilogy of novels. And I think uh, that kind of writing, I mean, it uh, it, it deserves to be recognized. And as I say, I'm very pleased that the Nebulas recognize the writers by name rather than simply saying this was my favorite movie of the year or my favorite TV show.
0: And then finally, the Andre Norton Award for Outstanding Young, Young Adult Science Fiction or Fantasy Book. That's a very mm-hmm. interesting uh, piece of nomenclature book. Uh, the nominees, the finalists, the finalists are Tomi Adayemi for Children of Blood and Bone, Roshani Chokshi for Arashu and the End of Time, A.K. Duboff for A Light in the Dark, Rachel Hartman for Tess of the Road, Justina Ireland for Dread Nation, and Henry Leen for, or Lian For peace Spratt Chen, Future Legend of Skate and Sword Which is a great title
1: It is, and I have to admit I've read none of these And what I've heard most about is Tommy Adeyemi's uh, Children of Blood and Blood I've read the Tommy
0: Adeyemi book and it's, it's fabulous I only read yeah, that, like 10 books, novels last year And it's one of them I, it's, it's fabulous, very eager to read you know, The next book in the set The Rick Riordan Presents series Is laying down some really interesting books Carlos Hernandez had a debut novel there Yoon ha Lee just had a book come out in that that line. Uh, uh-huh. Roshana Chokshi also has a debut adult novel that's just coming out now uh, and looks like, like a real name to, to watch and had a great piece of short fiction out last year. Justina Ireland, the author of Dread Nation, is also or was also until recently one of the editors of Fire, who have been publishing some great short fiction around the place as well. So this is,
1: uh, I, again, this is one of those categories where I think a lot of, I've, I've not read any of these books, but I like the category being there. Um, the question I always have is, if you have a novel which um, could go either way, I mean, the category of young adult has always interested me because I've had it explained to me by many people who write young adult uh, fiction. I've, I've, I've talked to Jane Yolen about this. We've talked to Ellen Clagis about it on the podcast. We've talked to Sharon November. Um, and To some extent, there are books which are clearly written, targeted, and designed for readers of a certain age. Uh, There are books which could go either way. Um, And one of the – the reason I'm rambling about this um, is that um, one of the novels I've recently read, and there are a number of these, but the one that comes to mind immediately is um, G. Willow Wilson's new novel, uh, The Bird King. Which has young protagonists in it. I don't think it's being published as a young adult novel. No. And I don't think Aleph the Unseen was either. But both of them have young protagonists. It was? Okay. My point is, it seems to me at some point there's a decision to be made, uh, whether it's by the author, by the agent, by the publisher. Uh, Shall we just go with this as an adult novel, or shall we try to cross-market to young adults, or do we call it a young adult novel and hope that adults will pick it up? There are writers um, who I think are principally thought of as young adult writers that also get a lot of following um, among adult fantasy readers, for example.
0: Um, I think fantasy is where you see a lot, the most crossover, obvious crossover. I'm pretty sure that Garth Nix just announced novels which are appearing as young adult in North America and in, as adult fantasy in the U.K.,
1: Right, okay, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about, uh, that it's, uh, it, it, it's kind of an arbitrary decision. So the question always comes up when you have a young adult category is, should or could some of these novels be in the best novel category? Is a young adult category a way of diverting worthy novels out of the adult category because there might be a stigma attached to the young adult label? I don't know.
0: i talking um, about a stigma, but I, I, I sometimes I think it's a little bit uh, a way of having your cake and eating it too. Uh, it's just like I sometimes wonder, and I, I mean, I, I love and support Locus greatly, but when we split out science fiction novel, fantasy novel, first novel, and um, YA novel, yeah, it gives you four books to award. And hey, look, recognizing excellence is is wonderful, so that's great. But it but does get ready, away from just one, naming one book. One book could be all of those things.
1: Exactly my point. Exactly my point. One book could fit in each of those categories. Um, so. And there's, there's a British writer I'm trying to think of who is published almost entirely as Young Adults, and uh, and she's she's a wonderful fantasy writer.
0: Frances Harding? Frances Harding, thank you. Who has an um, adult novel coming out. Mm-hmm. But
1: um, or we could mention Margot Lanigan, who mm-hmm. started out as Young Adult. Uh, uh, I, it's, it's interesting. I've not done this. I'd love to go back and look at some of her Young Adult books before she became our, quote, our Margot Lanigan, um, and I think to some extent the uh, short stories that Ellen Klages writes, if they were if there were a market for young adult short stories, some of them are terrific young adult short stories. One of which you published, uh, a couple of several of which you published, as a matter of fact. So, so it's it, it interests me that um, in the sense that when you look at a category like this for the Nebula Awards, I don't think that any responsible readers should say, oh, those are young adults, I don't need to look at them. I think we need to pay as much attention to those as we do to the nominees for a novella or novel that we haven't read or
0: haven't heard of. Now, since we're on on the subject of awards which we talk about all the time, first up, Uh I'm pretty sure that nominations for the Hugo Awards close on the 15th of March. First of all, Uh if you're listening to us and you're not one of us, i.e. me or Gary, uh, please consider the Cood Street Podcast for Best Fan Cast. Plug, plug. Uh, mm-hmm. please, and please consider whoever else for whatever else. Vote for what you love. Gary, have you nominated yet for the Hugos?
1: I have not. I have I have in, in mind what I might do, and I'm glad you reminded me of this. Do your uh, finger and do that. No, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I did, but I this is what I do with the Hugos. The first day the nominations are open, I go in and I nominate mm-hmm. three or four things that I know I want to nominate. And then I think, okay, one of the things that people should know this, once you've put your ballot in, you can go back and change it until March 15th. You can add things yes. to it. So what I've done is I have nominated, but I have sent in an incomplete ballot. Yes. I have nominees for novel. I have nominees for a few other things, I think. Uh, but I, my intention is to go back and, and finish it. So thank you for reminding me to do that. And will you be attending? I, 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 suspect, I, I suspect a lot of people may do what I do. Oh, you, sure. You this, but even then. Okay, as long my as,
0: I want, as, I want long to as you nominate,
1: out. that's what counts. Yeah, exactly. But I think it's it's easy to get in the idea to, to get in the frame of mind which I discovered myself to have been in as soon as you mentioned that to think. Of course, I've nominated, and I thought, well, no, I nominated two or three things that I knew I wanted to nail down because being aged and decrepit, I was thinking I might nominate these people and forgot that they've nominated them, and then I'll forget to nominate it all, and then I won't nominate. Uh, well, Blackfish City. Whatever one.
0: exactly. <laughs> Uh, and look, I expect a lot of the short fiction nominees, well, a good handful of the short fiction nominees from the Nebulas to appear on the Hugo ballot. I would think I so, I yeah. strongly encourage people who are listening, who have not yet read stuff, to go look, to take the sets of links to Nebula nominees and take the time to read them. Read the P. Lee clark short story that's on Fireside. Read the S.Q. Lou short story that's been reprinted on Clark's World from Asimov's. Those stories strongly are worth the effort. Consider spending the three bucks and buy some of the Tor.com novellas. Mm-hmm. God's Monsters and Lucky Peach is a great story. Brooke Bolander's novelette is wonderful. They deserve at least consideration. Go spend some money. Take a little time. You've got two weeks. The short stories you need to read, honestly, there's probably 20 of them or 30 of them you really need to read. Go have a look. Check them out. Some great stuff. Mm. Now, will you be at the... 2018 April, uh, Lo- Locus, no, sorry, Nebula Awards in April, Gary? Um, so. They're in Los Angeles. Yeah, mate. No, no, no I, don't I don't know where they are. I don't know well, the they will present them in some place at some time, yes.
1: I probably yeah. won't. The, the Nebula weekend is a very odd weekend if you're not a CEPHO member. Uh, mm-hmm. First of all, I mean, when, when they were in Chicago, I got invited a couple of times, and it was very nice, and they were enjoyable. It's an odd weekend, which is not a convention, and not not a convention. There are workshops, mostly for writers. Uh, people go out to dinner, uh, and then there's the, there's the award ceremony. So I've never found, I, and I, I I happened to be in Pittsburgh last year at the Nebulas um, for a day. Mm-hmm. So by and large, no, I don't plan to be there. I do plan okay. to be, of course, in Dublin at the Hugo's, and okay. so the I Warner might. Yeah. Might or might
0: not be in Seattle for the Locus Awards. The Warner Center Marriott Woodland Hills, which is somewhere in the world, probably Los Angeles. It's a um, suburb of Los. Yeah. yeah, well, that's where in May they will present the Nebulas, and they'll probably have them on YouTube on their livey, streamy stuff or something. And then you're yeah. right, the Locus Awards nominations I think are open now. Uh, in fact, I know are open now. Uh, they'll be presented in June, I think, uh, in in Seattle. Uh, your Hugo Awards will be presented in Dublin in Ireland and you will be there and I may be there who knows, possibly not but I might be um, and then in early November the World Fantasy Awards will be presented in Los Angeles California at an airport hotel which I
1: probably won't go to I'm I'm, I'm always deciding, it, it, it gets to a point uh, where if you're not invited, you're not comped, and most people aren't for most of these awards, then you to have to start thinking about trading off. And one of the things, this is something for con organizers to keep in mind. I will warn them of this. One of the things that makes me decide to trade off conventions in a year because I can't afford to go to 12 of them is the hotel, the location of the hotel, the venue, and so forth and so on. Mm -hmm. I may not go to ReaderCon this year because I don't like the location of the hotel, which is essentially on a bluff that looks like the wall of doom out of a video game i probably won't go to any award ceremony that is, is in an airport hotel i don't like being in airport hotels the only time i've ever been in airport hotels is when i've had canceled flights and i've had a miserable time of it and realize this if you're in an airport hotel everybody else in the hotel would have had a canceled flight or be somebody who's
0: there on corporate business of course devil's advocate so, margaret landing is guest of owner
1: that's the problem. That's the major problem.
0: <laughs> now, actually, there- just speaking of this for a second, another heads up. I mean, we've told you you have to nominate for the Hugos. You've got two weeks, right? The other thing that's going to happen as we move towards mm-hmm. Dublin or whoever goes to Dublin moves there is they will select the 2021 World Science Fiction Convention location, right? Now, yes. we know where 2021 is. It's going to be in Wellington in New Zealand. And yes. really, if you don't go, I'm going to be sitting in New Zealand drinking, you know, Chardonnay and laughing at you because it's going to be fabulous. But setting that aside, 2021, Washington, D.C. is the sole group running. Do take the ah. trouble to vote, not support them anyway. If you go and you pre-buy now, it's 150 bucks for a pre-supporting that automatically becomes a full membership. So right now, if you go to the D.C. website, it's the cheapest time to do it it'll never be cheaper ah. to go to work on than if you buy now and you can always transfer if you're not going to go you can transfer but that's i mean as a matter of fact
1: the world the, the last time world fantasy was in washington i think was the first time you and i actually met face
0: to face sounds like that that'd be 2003 that was world fantasy you, yeah, I remember, you and i, I remember the Charles hotel. Brown, the hotel it
1: was it was reasonably a, a short walk from the Capitol. uh lots of nice restaurants nearby big bar uh,
0: And sadly, we took Graham Joyce to dinner. Oh, well, that was embarrassing. But on the other hand, I spent time in the bar with Lucius Shepard. One of the few Ah. times I spent any real time with him, and that was lovely and interesting. Uh, Had a room party, and that's where we met um, Holly Black, and where Mm -hmm. I think Caitlin Kiernan was, believe it or not. I was sharing a room with Garth Nix at the time. And Sean Williams, and that's where the – oh, just banged in my microphone. That's where the tradition of drinking sea breezes at World, at world Fantasies was born for my group, my little cultural niche group that goes to World Fantasies at times, but who won't be going this year, but will be going – well, actually, next year, let's face it. I'm going to go to New Zealand. My crowd are going to New Zealand. I expect you to go to New Zealand.
1: I have every plan to go to New Zealand. I actually can get a non-stop flight. This is a minor, minor caveat. I can get a nonstop flight from Chicago to Auckland. Mm-hmm. There are, but everything from anywhere else in the world flies into Auckland, and then you have to get to Wellington.
0: Yes, that's how that goes. You just do that. Uh, and then in 2021, you're going to jump on the website. You're going to buy a cheap membership because in 2021, there's going be the Worldcon will be in D.C., and it's always worth going uh-huh. to D.C. And then the World Fantasy is going to be in Canada, in Montreal.
1: That's which is good year I'm
0: doing both of those so
1: yeah that
0: told my, my family expect to either to see me disappear into the wild blue yonder because I'm doing that uh, I'm not going to go to Salt Lake City for the 2020 World Fantasy I don't think I doubt that I will either but again one of the things that comes up is the the only
1: thing that makes me want to go to World Fantasy in the airport is the fact that Margot Lanigan would be there all there of there these be other things. people there'll, there'll, there'll be other people are. as well but, but but the point is, you get to a point, and I've had a conversation with my partner about this, where you're spending an expensive weekend to have three or four meals with your favorite best friends, which is certainly worthwhile, but you almost think, I could go find them where they live and have dinner.
0: Well, I don't quite feel that, obviously, but for me, it's one of those things, I have to take uh, two weeks off work, I have to. Well, yeah. I have to drop about five grand. And I will be traveling, and even then, like, if I go to, let's say I did go to Los Angeles, it would be a, an eight-day trip minimum for me. Yeah. Uh, and it would cost, yeah, about four or $5,000, and it would be to stay at an airport hotel and see nothing of Los Angeles, not that I want to see anything of Los Angeles anyway, between you and me and everybody else. Uh, and for Salt Lake City, it's like, I don't really want to see the Mormon T- Tinkerbell Choir. Um I'm sure there are other, they've got some fine guests. I'm sure it'll be lovely, but I, I think t- 2021 for me.
1: I should say as, as, a, as a not devil's advocate, as an anti-devil's advocate, in defense of the airport hotel in L.A., there's almost no place in L.A. where you can see much of L.A. Um, in other words, it's, it's just too spread out a city. I was at the Nebula Awards in L.A. 10 years ago or something like that, and it was a perfectly nice venue. But you couldn't walk anywhere. You can't walk anywhere anywhere. In LA at all. <clears throat> to be honest, the, the 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 most interesting times I've spent in Los Angeles, not at my own expense, and I don't intend to do it again, uh, were at the Writers of the Future Awards, which are in downtown Hollywood, across from Grauman's Ch- Chinese Theater in the Roosevelt Hotel. It's a terrific, iconic location. Not the most glamorous part of town. It's not Beverly Hills, but to go to that part of Hollywood. And hang out with Tim Powers, who knows everything about the history of Hollywood and all the ancient restaurants to eat to. That was terrific. But it was an award ceremony, which is, to use my favorite word for tonight, problematical. <laughs>
0: Well, on on that kind of note, even though we've, we've sort of said all sorts of incendiary things yeah. about convention, go to the conventions you want to hang out go with. Go to you.
1: all – This the, is what go we're going to do. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, because we should not be telling people what to do and what not to do. And uh, one advantage, I suppose, to smaller conventions is that you have a better chance of hanging out with your friends or with writers that you admire and want to get to know better. Yeah.
0: Look, on that note, we'll acknowledge that all of our detail plans for Cood Street didn't work out the last few weeks. Here's a new episode. We're still getting one a week out on average, thanks to the big week. We'll be back next week with Sarah Pinsker and then other things out and beyond. And, yeah, and we'll talk to you we'll one another next week. All right.
1: Until then, it's been the Cood Street Podcast.
0: It has indeed.